Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. I believe the message that God's been laying on my heart for months for our church uh, and for me personally is bound up in in uh, these texts that we're going to study today and some of these truths and definitely character Isaiah, the Apostle Peter and the lady with the alabaster vial. And I just think it's important that we get a, ha- a handle on repentance for real. I believe God's called our church, our whole church, and those of you that are guests, uh, this may or may not include you, but it does include us. Um, if you're part of our core, um, he's called us to repentance. I think we, like the church at Ephesus in uh, the book of Revelation, think we're at a place where our first love has drifted and the passion of our heart for our first love has drifted and we have to get back there. And according to the text in uh, Revelation, we have to remember, but then we have to repent. And so this text is tied very closely to exactly what I believe we're supposed to be doing. And repentance is not often taught or preached in today's world. It's a it's a phrase we don't use very often. And some people, some churches are softening the idea of it. It's thought of as more of a sort of a short and quick prayer that you can pray. Pray a prayer of repentance and you'll be okay. Um, some churches uh, believe in penance, which we'll mention. Um, penance is man's effort. <laughs> Um, to be something for God, uh, not God's work at all. Uh, but repentance is far more than a prayer to God. And it's, in fact, uh, you cannot be saved because of a prayer. I, I've been studying this and it's it's dangerous to think that the prayer is what saved you. I know that rattles your brain because I prayed a prayer when I was a little boy in the second grade. My second grade teacher pulled me, pulled my desk up to hers during recess because I told her I wanted to get saved and didn't want to go to hell, and she pulled my desk up, and she taught me how to pray a prayer. The prayer didn't save me. I was saved by the grace of God and my faith in His work for me. The prayer was the expression of that. You understand the difference? The prayer is the expression of my faith in Him, and my teacher taught me how to express what I wanted to say in my heart in a prayer to Him. That's all she did. So repentance isn't a prayer. It can be bound up in a prayer. And you can definitely, as you pray, can repent to God. You can offer up to God a sacrifice of repentance in your words. uh, But you have to think through in your head um, what you really mean by that. We're going to talk about what it means to repent today. You can do it. People have done it at altars. You can. The hard truth is many people think they've repented. Y'all know this. We are in deep south, and there's some good old boy theology that messes with us really badly. And I want to just tell you, in the deep south, a lot of people have an understanding of God, or they think they know God, or they somehow are connected to God, but they've never actually repented of anything. They've never dealt with the real issue Um, that's clear in Scripture that we have to deal with. And so they know God, they know a form of God, and they know a bit about God, but they've never repented to Him. And so when the judgment seat comes, remember that whole thing that I've told you many times, kind of freaks me out. There's this whole thing in the 
book of Matthew where they're going to stand before their great white throne and the Lord's going to separate the sheep from the goats and, and the ones on one side are going to say, hey, we did all these works in your name. We did all this good stuff for you. And he's going to go, depart from me. I never knew you. The issue is you never knew him because you never really repented. You had a form of godliness, the Bible talks about, but it wasn't the repentant kind that the other side of the table, the other side of the divide lived on. Repentance is really important that you get it in your head. So there was this consistent message surrounding Jesus' life. And this is before we get to your notes. So I'm going to give you a little introduction. If you want to write some of these verses down, you can. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist was the forerunner, Jesus' cousin. It's his forerunner that's out there teaching. And in Matthew chapter 3, uh, Jesus, John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So his message was repentance. Jesus' first sermon is recorded in uh, Luke chapter uh, or Matthew chapter 4. For it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what was Jesus preaching? Exactly what John was preaching. And he starts his ministry by saying, Repentance has to be on the leading edge of what all we're doing as he begins to bring the kingdom of God into play. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, now we all think of the Great Commission. This was re revelation to me. I was, I've been reading a book on repentance. I'll just tell you how God works. I started sensing that God wanted me to study the seven churches in Revelation. Kendall and I talked about it almost two years ago. And I began, to, I began the process of studying these churches. And the one that just wouldn't get out of my head was the church at Ephesus. And I've asked Kendall a dozen times, we've had a lot of good breakfasts at Dick Russell's, to talk about the issues of that church and what's going on in that passage. And the Lord just kept drawing me back to it for us, not just for me, but for us. And he kept drawing me back to it. And so I began this journey. And I just want to tell you that all the podcasts I've listened to, uh, a couple of the seminars that we signed up for, just, just signed up for them. And then a guy signed us up for a seminar, uh, uh, a conference in Birmingham. And the theme around that conference was repentance. So, I, you know, it's not like I'm a slow learner, but the Lord goes, hey, I'm just going to make sure you got this. I'm going to make sure you got this. I'll make really sure you got this. So, by the way, at the conference, you're going to get a book called Repentance, and it's probably the best book I've ever read on repentance. And then I got people sending me things, and it doesn't hurt my feelings at all when Mike tells me this, but Mike does this to me regularly. He goes, hey, this is the best sermon I've ever heard on repentance, and it's not yours. <laughs> and he sends it to me as a text, and I go, okay, I'll listen. But he's right. It's a phenomenal sermon on repentance. Uh, just a great sermon. And when I listened to it, I was like, it took me a while, but I got through it. Um, I thought I could do it in my tree stand, but it didn't. My, my signal wouldn't hold out long enough for it to buffer in at my tree stand. But, but when I listened to it, I was like, that's exactly what the Lord's been saying to me. It's confirmation of everything I've been hearing. And so I feel like today is one of those days where the Lord's like piled and piled and piled this truth upon me to pile upon you to wear your heart down to a place where you go, hey, I want my first love back. And I want to be truly repentant. I want to evaluate the, the elements of repentance. So when I was thinking through that, Jesus' first sermon is repentance, repent for the kingdom. His, his great commission, we always get it out of Matthew. It's a good common place to go for the great commission, right? Uh, where, where the Lord gives this command that we're to go and make disciples teaching and baptizing. But if you go to Luke, the great commission reads like this. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, bearing out the whole Old Testament. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. When a person disciples another person, go and make disciples, you know what you're supposed to proclaim? Repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance because Christ has come and given us this window of opportunity to change our eternal track. That's what we're supposed to preach. That's what we're supposed to teach. And we're supposed to teach all generations according to this. And, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, and the, the, the uttermost parts of the earth, we're supposed to share with them repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations has to uh, be, be proclaimed beginning in Jerusalem. Um, and then Peter's first sermon. Remember Peter, Peter had this journey with Jesus where he was, uh, one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite uh, monologues about uh, the life of John the Beloved. Uh, it's called John and Exile. You can get it on DVD still. I don't know if they're still making copies of that thing, but if you can get it, you need a copy of that. You should watch it. It's a couple of hours, but it's one guy, uh, Dean Jones, that used to be with uh, Walt. Disney, used to be with Disney, right? He's in all the Disney movies. Um, he dresses up like John the Beloved in a cave uh, on the Isle of Patmos, and he just walks you through what it's like to walk with Jesus. We'll have to watch it here one night. We'll have to just have a movie night here. And, let y'all see that again. It is so moving and so powerful. It's just one guy in a cave talking to you about what it's like to be with Jesus. But in the process, he talks about uh, Peter, and he goes, Peter was in a walking bundle of outrageous extremes. And he said nobody could uh, support Jesus as much as Peter, and nobody could frustrate Jesus as much as Peter. And that's just true. Peter had this up and down thing with Jesus. At one point, he's, you know, thou art right, you know. You have the words of eternal life. Peter, you answered the question right. A few minutes later, Peter, Jesus is going, get thee behind me, Satan. What, what happened to you, right? So he's got this, this thing happening. And then Peter's the guy that says, I would never deny you at the Lord's table. And a few hours later, what's Peter doing? He's denying Christ three times. Literally swears and curses his third denial so that nobody will mess with him anymore. Makes himself this bully that can't be messed with because he swore, Right? And here's Peter freaking everybody out. And then we find Peter at the end of John. He actually says, John 21, I'm going back to fishing. Done. Quit. Jesus gets him and makes breakfast for him on the seashore, and makes breakfast on the beach for him and feeds him fish and bread and talks him back into ministry and says, Peter, you know, follow me. Don't love these boats and this career. Love me. Love me. And it's a recall of Peter, right? So Peter's, that's Peter's recall at the end of the book of John. Jesus, a few days later, 50-something days later, ascends into heaven, and Peter becomes this preacher that preaches in the book of Acts very early after Jesus leaves. And when he preaches, here's his message in Acts chapter 2. Peter's first sermon that birthed the New Testament is Acts 2.38. He says, and by the way, he tells everybody, you killed Jesus. You killed him. Now think what he's saying to him. He said to the Jews, you killed the Messiah. By the way, it's the one we've been talking about that's been resurrected. And nobody knows what happened. And there's all these stories about him. He'd been seen of 500. It's all this crazy news that's happening around Jesus. Peter goes, you killed him. We killed him. And I'm telling you, the one that we killed, here's what he says. Repent and be baptized in the name uh, of Jesus. So Peter actually calls him back to the cross and to his death, burial, and resurrection, and then says, now you need to repent. Look at that and repent. That's his first message. And by the way, it started. it's the foundation of the church we sit in was 
found it in the book of Acts on that message of repentance. So it's pretty important, isn't it? Here's seven basics of repentance. Um, these have to be present, and you can say when you when we read through these, you're going to say, "Well, I got some of that. I don't have all of that. That's okay." If the Lord's doing a work in you of repentance, it's a journey, by the way. Uh, I've been 40 years in ministry, and I'm just learning that this probably should have been a message I preach a lot more often than I preach. Okay, so I'm, I'm a slow, I'm a C student. Everybody knows that. And uh, I'll get there. But here's some repentance means, first of all, I must see God. I have to see him for who he really is. I have to see God, very God. God, holy God, God, mighty God, God, all-powerful God. I have to see him. And the book of Isaiah has exactly that picture. Isaiah is a really cool prophet of God. Uh, the sermon that I listened to, that guy's name is uh, Greer, uh, J.D. Greer. Yeah. And uh, he says, he says, Isaiah has his own book named after him. He's such a good prophet. I mean, he's a man of God. It's a big book, by the way. It's 66 chapters. And here's Isaiah caught up in the presence of God. And it says, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. What's it look like? Well, he's lofty and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple seraphims which are angels stood above him each having six wings man watch this with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet with two he flew and one called out to the other one to another one and said holy holy is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke then i said wow that's cool Man, that's awesome. Thanks, God, for inviting me up here. No. When you see God for who God is, it's a woe, not a wow. It's a woe moment. And he says, woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm o it's over. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I cannot stand in the presence of God. I'm a man of unclean lips, he says. And I live among people of unclean. Not like I can go get somebody to help me. Anybody go get's not going to be able to stand in this presence. Think about that, right? So what happened was he saw God. He recognized his holiness. He recognized his purity. He recognized his righteousness. He, and he's not gloating in his understanding of that. He's reeling. He's repenting. He's walking backwards going, woe is me. That is not something I can in, be in the presence of, Right? So first thing you have to do is see God for who he actually is. You have to, you have to recognize that God is all these things. Think about the description of, of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. I always point to Kendall when I say the word Revelation because he teaches our class on that and everybody loves it. But I, it's Revelation 1, 13. I saw John, the beloved, youngest disciple. Now he's on the Isle of Patmos. In that little movie I was telling you about, he reflects on some of these things. I saw one like the Son of Man clothed in a robe, teaching, uh, reaching, a robe reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest was a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, which had been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he had held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. That's what it looks like. 
So if you want to begin the process of repentance, you got to get into that presence. You got to recognize that's who uh, you will face one day. That's who rules everything. And he is the boss. You're not the boss. He is the boss of you. He always has been and he always will be. Now, you can rebel against that all you want, but it's not going to help you very much. You have to see his greatness and his purity and you have to see his authority over you. Repentance says, I'm not the boss of me anymore. I just met God and whoa, he's the boss, right? And of course, the second part of that is that repentance means I see myself for who I really am. I see myself, number two, I see myself for who I really am. Repentance is the total opposite of self-trust, self-preservation, and self-worth. It's the total opposite of that. Total opposite of self-anything. Repentance is, I'm nothing and no good and of no value, and God is everything, and I'm going to have to have his help now. And just to go back for a moment to our good old boy theology class, um, the good old boy version of God it goes something like this. Me and God, we're okay. We, we worked out a thing. I got a deal with, I made a deal with God. We're okay. We're, yeah, he doesn't expect me to do all of that, change, all of that. Worked out a deal with God. You believe anybody really works out a deal with God? When you, when you stand before him, Bronze feet, flaming eyes, white hair, throne, shaking from the waters from his voice. You think anybody's made a deal with that? No, but we say it all the time. And we, we live in a culture where people say it all the time. I have a good friend. That's a constant, constant statement that's made. I've worked out a deal with God. And I just keep telling her, baby, God doesn't make deals. There's no deal to be made. Unless it's with Jesus at the cross. That's the deal. There's no other deal. You don't have some special deal for you. And you can't just say, well, I know who God is. And, and here's, a, here's a good old boy theology. Well, that's just who I am. He, he knows who I am. He knows my weaknesses. He knows me. And I, I mean, he just knows I'm going to struggle like that. It's okay. I don't have to be all that. That's not true. That's not repentance. That's trying to figure out a way to make God fit you like you want to be. You understand what I'm saying? I told you I was going to be tough today, right? You understand what I'm saying? God intends for us to literally change everything to his way. And to do that, we have to get off ourselves. We have to repent of ourselves. I've read you this verse many times, Jeremiah 17, 9, man's heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Listen to the verses right before that, right? Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Would y'all just read that part of it with me? When I say, thus says the Lord, I want you to read the next few, few words to the word mankind. You ready? Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Say it out loud. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Repentance says, hmm. There ain't nothing good going to come out of mankind. Nothing good going to come out of me. He says, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he'll be like a bush in the desert. How, a bush in the desert. Does that sound good to you? Nourishing, flourishing bush in the desert? No. That's tumbleweed. <laughs> That's dried up. Blech. 
right? It would be like a bush in the desert. And, and he will not see uh, when prosperity comes, but will live in a stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant, without life. A man who trusts in himself lives with no life and can never find life, can never find real life. So repentance says, I got to get ahead. I got to get a handle on this. Jeremiah 17, 13 reflects on the exact same thing. Oh, Lord, the hope of Israel is one of my favorite phrases in the Old Testament. The Lord is the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. If you forsake the fountain of living water, you dry up. The whole point Jeremiah's making, right? See, there's this danger of self that runs very strong in us and it resists repentance. Please hear that real careful. There's a danger of self that runs really deep within us and it resists repentance. We think we're good and we continually can prove ourselves to be good. I can show you how much better I am than you. I'm good at it, by the way. I have spiritual pride. It's one of my biggest sins. Think about that. I'm telling you, I can sin in a way that would show you how much better I am than you. I can come to you and prove to you that I'm spiritually better than you, right? I can, and you know I'm good at it. Don't you? Don't you? You're my accountability. I'm really good at impressing you with how spiritual I am. You know what that is? Spiritual pride. Isn't that stupid? That's man's flesh. Drying himself up. There's this danger of self that can get us in so much trouble, so much trouble that true repentance stays right on the edge of what we're trying to accomplish because we're actually repenting to ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves something that's better so God feels better about us and we feel better about God. God's never going to feel better about you, by the way. You killed his son with your sin. Every one of us killed his son with your sin. Every one of us. He's not going to feel good about that. And it's not going to feel good when you recognize that. It's actually going to be painful. Repentance is very painful, but we can continually do that. And this is where penance comes in. A lot of uh, cultures, a lot of uh, religions have this penance thing uh, where you can, you can somehow give back to the Lord. Like if you serve the Lord, if you, if you join our church and we ask you to help serve in some area, help us go down the neighborhood and meet people and stuff like that, we want you to feel better about yourself because of that, right? no. We want you to do it to glorify God, not for yourself. If you're doing it for yourself, it might become penance, which is I feel better about me now, and so I know God feels better about me. God never feels better about you. He feels the same about you as he always has. You're a sinner that needs repentance, and you need his son to save you, and he loves you enough to send his son, but you killed his son, right? And if you, if you don't get his son into your life, and trust him and follow him in true repentance, he will not save you from hell. He will send you to hell. That's powerful. That's repentance. That's the truth about repentance. So there's this great story in Acts chapter 5. I'm not going to read it all to you, but I just want you to remember it. There's these two, two characters in Acts chapter 5, a husband and wife. The, the story doesn't end well. Y'all know this story? Right? Do you remember their names? Say it out loud. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, great role models, by the way, great role models. And here's, here's, here's what Ananias does. 
Uh, he comes to uh, meet with Peter, uh, and uh, he sold this piece of property with his wife, and he kept back some of it for himself. See, everybody's coming to the church making their offerings. They're saying, hey, we're giving you everything. Here's everything that we made. And Ananias comes and says, here's everything, but he kept a portion of it back for himself. And the Lord reveals that to Peter, the pastor at the time, the leader of the church at the time. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? By the way, the filled your heart phrase is exactly the verse in Ephesians where we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not filled. He's filled with Satan's stuff in him right now, selfish stuff. Um, while it remained unsold, did it not remain uh, your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? So you had the opportunity to do this. Why is it you've conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, and I fell down and breathed his last. There's an interesting church service. There's an interesting church service. Let's all take an offering now. We should have taken an offering during this point right here. I should ask you to bring the plates up, and we should put them out and say, hey, y'all bring your all to the Lord. Bring it all. Come on. Bring it on. Bring it all. Let's just give it all. Would you hold one penny back? If I'd have done that, you'd be like, I'm emptying my pop, checking my shoe. If I got a penny in my penny loafer, I'm putting it in there, man. I'm not going to not bring it all. Somehow that dude died, right? Now, the weird part of the story to me is when, when he died, they buried, they took him off and buried him. They didn't even go find his wife. Peter's like, hey, go bury that guy. Like, well, what about his family? Well, I don't care, just go bury him. They just buried the guy, right? And then his wife shows up hours later with the same exact story, which was lying to God. And you go, man, this is a crazy story about the church. I'm scared of the church now. Good. <laughs> you know, be honest with yourself. Here's what's happening. Ananias and Sapphira, see, Sapphira says exactly the same thing. And as she says it, she falls down dead. Right? I mean, they didn't even tell, I guess they didn't even tell her, hey, hate to break the news to you, but your husband's in a grave out back behind the church. We started our own graveyard back there. I guess it was a Baptist church having our own graveyard. So we started our own graveyard back there. And we got, we got him buried out there. You want to tell us the truth of what happened? Nope, I'm going to lie. Boom, you're dead. Okay, we'll just put you in there with your husband. That's crazy, right? And you would, nobody in this room would say, hey, I'm Ananias and Sapphira. That's me. That's not my role model. I don't want to, I'm, not, I'm not anything like them. So think about this. Ananias had a pretense of spirituality. What he was doing when he showed up in his accountability group at church with his spiritual people around him, he was seeking to look good for the church, but not wholly surrender himself to God. He was seeking to look good here, but out there not be fully surrendered. He just wanted everything to look good here. That's all he was doing. And God shook that church to say, hey, we're not going to play that game anymore. Aren't you glad God doesn't shake our church like that or any church like that? There's a whole bunch of people sitting in church today. I'm not saying here. You judge yourself. There are a whole bunch of people sitting in church today trying to look good. They want to look good and feel good about themselves. And they came to look good. They want their friends to think, we're church people. We're good. It's dangerous. Self is very, very, very dangerous. It'll distract you from true repentance. Self will distract you from true repentance. We love the reputation of knowing God. See, John Miller says, he wrote a book on repentance. I suggest all of you purchase that. We love the reputation of knowing God more than actually the love of God. 
I like to be known as somebody that knows God. But loving God, you know, I don't care if you know I love God or not. I'm just telling you, when, when I finally meet my maker and go home to be with the Lord, here's what I want my children to say of me. And I mean this with all my heart. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, he gave his all to the one who gave his all. That's what I want him to say. I got to earn a lot of that. I got to get to that somewhere. I got I to gotta improve me. But I'm just telling you, that's, I don't want people to love the reputation I had about knowing God. I want them to know that I really actually did love God. That's exactly what Ananias and wife were doing. God's not called us, Miller says this, God's not called us to be attorneys acting, like, acting in our own defense. Like, hey, God, let me explain to you how good I am. Right? Acting in our own defense. But beggars humble before him at the throne of grace, refusing to leave until bread is forthcoming. You're not an attorney with God. You have no argument. If God asks you, are you guilty? Don't say, let me think about that. Um, I don't think so. You say every time, I'm a thousand percent guilty and I have no plea of innocence. I have no hope except my advocate First John chapter 2, my advocate is Jesus, and I'm going to let him speak for me now. And Jesus is going to say, he's mine. His name's written in the book, and he's mine, and I covered his payment. So he doesn't owe you anything, God, so he is ours now, right? And, and it's interesting to me how messed up my head. I've taught this for years. I know these biblical truths, but I'm going to tell you a stupid thing. When I sit in a tree stand, for hours and hours and hours and hours. I love being out in the woods, by the way. And all I want is a deer to walk by. I just want a deer to walk by. Just a deer. And he's got to walk. I'm a bow hunter, so he's got to walk by in the right place, the right time, at the right angle, you know, looking the right way and all that kind of stuff. So it's very complex for me. But I just, all I want is a deer. And after I get there a long, long time, you know what I start doing? I bargain with God. I remind God what I do for a living. Say, God, I'm trying really hard to love you. And, I'm a pastor, you know, and I'm going to give half of this away. There's, there's a family I know that needs this meat. So, you know, if you just send one because I'm, you know, serving you here. You know what I'm doing? I'm an attorney in a, in a tree stand trying to get a deer to walk by, trying to get God just to offer up a deer. He's in charge. He's the Lord of the harvest, by the way. And I know that. And I honor him with that phrase when I say it to him. Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest. If you could just send your humble servant your humble servant that gives us every day to, to work at your church, to lead your people, to shepherd your flock. If you could just send a humble deer across this humble servant's path. I'm telling you, you think I don't do that? It's stupid how I do that. I cannot believe sometimes when I'm sitting in my stand doing that, I can't believe I'm actually trying to argue with God that I'm worth a deer. I'm worth a deer. It's stupid. I'm not worth a deer. I mean, I'm not even worth a frog going by. You know, I'm just not. I'm worth nothing apart from the work of grace and the cross of Christ. I'm worth nothing. But I will try to convince myself all the time. In my selfish heart, I'll try to convince myself all the time I'm worth something. And I did it this bow season several times, many times in the bow stand. I'm trying to get God to understand I need your help. And I'm a good guy. That's not the way to go to God. I know better. And yet it just comes right out of me. It's wrong. It's sinful. And I repent. And when I go home empty cooler, most hunts, 
I'm repenting all the way home, all the way back from Citronelle back to Mobile. I'm going, God, I'm such a fool to think for even one second that I deserve anything from you. Just the day in the stand was a offering of you. The opportunity to see nature and watch 45 squirrels play and pretend to be deer, but not deer. Just the chance to do all that was awesome. You know, just the fact that I could sit in a stand and not be attacked by anything and not be eaten by ants or anything, that was awesome. And I watched the sun set up, rise and the sun come down and I mean, it's awesome. That's the gift. And instead, I'm trying to make it about me. See how stupid that is? That's an unrepentant heart. I'm just telling you, I'm confessing it to you right here. So when I'm saying y'all need to get a handle on it, y'all need to get a handle on it because I know I do. Number three, repentance means I see the love of God toward me through the sacrifice of Christ. Through the sacrifice of Christ. God has unchanging purposes. He made an oath to forgive us from our sins through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews says he is the anchor of our soul. 1 John 1, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Where did the blood come from? The cross. Jesus, Jesus sacrificed his blood on the cross. And we've studied that passage in Hebrews where where there's, the priest takes a, a bowl of pure blood, pure lamb's blood, and presents it to God, which is the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. He presents it to God. The blood has to stay between the priest and the blood. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb whose blood is there. And Jesus is the one paying for the sins. He's all of that for us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth's not in us. If we confess our sins... Then you get these two truths. He is faithful and righteous. Faithful and righteous. King James says faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know that God didn't, didn't favor you with being saved. He didn't show you a favor by saving you. He did it through justice. Somebody had to die, just like he said. The rule, the rule was, the law is, somebody has to die. Who died, Jesus? The sinless one, the holy one, his only begotten son. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. It's a daily and hourly. By the way, that, that word in the original language in, in uh, the Greek, which is the original language of the, Old, of the New Testament, if we confess our sins, that word confess uh, means to say the same thing as name your sin by name. Don't just confess, oh, I'm a sinner. You name what sin you know you're guilty of. If you're guilty of like me being stupid and arrogant and the tree stand, Lord, I'm, a, I'm an arrogant person. I'm just arrogant. I'm full of pride, right? If, you, if there's uh, envy or jealousy or uh, lust um, in your heart, you confess those things to the Lord. You name them by name when he points them to you, and then he'll forgive you the ones that you couldn't know because you're not good enough to know all your sins, but he does, so you name them by name. But the word confess there is actually daily. It means it's in the tense of all the time. All the time you should be confessing. So even as a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ and you say, well, I have truly repented before the Lord. I see God for who he is and I see myself for who I am. And I recognize the cross is the place where it all took place, that, that everything changed for me. Even if you get that, this passage says you daily repent. You daily confess. You daily come before the Lord. None of us are going to be without sin. 
and we're all going to wrestle with sin between here and heaven. So um, we have to work very hard. <clears throat> and by the way, just like selfishness, self-centeredness and self-exaltation is nature to us, um, darkness is our favorite place, right? Darkness is our favorite place. That's why this passage says um, he's going to bring it to light. He, he exposes the light to us. Uh, we can't walk in darkness and practice truth. But it's, it's our nature to run towards the darkness. It's our nature to run toward the darkness. I have these severe, severe migraines that happen uh, I don't know, five or six times a year. They're horrible. And, uh, and when, that, when it happens, light is one of my triggers. It's a, a horrible, sensitive thing. And I mean, I'm going to be very nauseated and also just like beg for death. If there's a bright light in my face when I have these migraines. And so I literally cower like a vampire. So no kidding. I had one here years ago. Uh, I had one here. I think you were still in high school because uh, you and mom had to come get me. And I just call, I, I literally went upstairs. There's a room upstairs that's got no windows because on this side of the upstairs. And I laid down in the floor where it's dark. I laid on the floor with my cell phone turned away from me so I couldn't see the light on it and hit the number that would dial her. And just kind of mumbled, you got to come get me. I can't, I'm, I'm upstairs. Don't come till dark because it was light outside. And, and when you come, bring me something to drape over my head. Because I don't even want to see headlights and stuff, right? Light was killing me. But light heals us when, it's, when we're healthy, right? To be spiritually healthy, you got to walk in light, not darkness. And you don't cower from that light. You run toward the light. Our nature is to run back towards darkness all the time. Because when you feel guilty, like Adam, when you feel guilty, you want to hide and cover your sin. You don't want to run to Christ and God for help. Oh, that Adam would have just said, we have sinned, Eve, we have sinned, we have sinned. We need to run to God and get some help. He didn't. He said, hey, put on this mossy oak and hide in that bush. And maybe God won't, maybe we won't be in trouble. That's hiding from God and it's running towards darkness, not towards the light. Make sense? We've got to learn to run. God's forgiveness is continual and complete because of the cross. Number four, repentance means I have a heart felt sorrow and grief for what I've done to Christ. Now, here's a, here's a tricky place. Some of you are not sensitive people. I don't want to point out anybody from my family. I don't want to call names. But some of you are not ultra sensitive people, right? You're crusty and hard. But I want to tell you something. You cannot be fully repentant and not have a broken heart about what happened to Christ because of you. You can't. You can't. There's no way. And I believe it's borne out all through the scriptures that it's actually part of, it's tied to our emotions. It's tied to our deeper soul spirit. Psalm 34, I'm going to read some verses that aren't up here. You can write, make notes of them. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That's what David experienced after he repented of his sin with Bathsheba. Isaiah 57, verse 15, thus says the high and exalted one. This is Isaiah again seeing Seeing, listening to God who is high and exalted. Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, 
Here's what the Holy One says. I dwell on a high and holy place and also the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the hearts of the contrite. He's saying the lowly and the contrite live with me on that high and holy place. True repentance means you weep and you mourn. James chapter four. James chapter four says we weep and mourn if we are truly repentant. It says he gives grace to the humble he resists the proud, and then he calls the people of, of in the New Testament, James is writing to his church at Jerusalem, and he says, you should weep and mourn for what's happened to Christ. And for your, he's really addressing their arrogance and their arguing. He says, you should weep and mourn. It means you feel worse about yourself. True repentance means you feel worse about yourself, not better. Just saying, you need to, as you grow in grace, as you grow in grace, you should start feeling worse about your sins. That's what it means to grow in grace. Doesn't mean you celebrate, you know, your sins now. Uh, Romans chapter six, very clear about that. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid. You should actually see more of your sin because you're coming into brighter light. You can see more of your sin. <coughs> Excuse me. And when you get close to God, when a person gets close to God, you can see your sin and it breaks you down. What's a great example of that? Glad you asked. Luke chapter 7, one of my favorite stories, is the woman with the alabaster vial. She is, she is against a, a wall of a room, a banquet room of a very wealthy man, and she's a patron. She's one of the street people that's been paid to come in and patronize this Pharisee who's having a party and invited Jesus, and the Pharisee is trying to impress Jesus with his banter and his brilliance and all his understanding of life and Bible and all that good stuff. And he invites Jesus to dinner. When he invited Jesus in as a guest, he didn't have his feet washed. He didn't have a servant wash his feet. He didn't offer to wash them himself. He didn't even offer Jesus any sort of perfume, which was a custom of the day in rich homes. None of that happened. Don't know why. Maybe they just didn't respect Jesus enough to care. But he seats Jesus at his table, which tables back then were on the floor, low level. So Jesus is actually on the floor, sitting on the floor with his feet out behind him. And one of the patrons that's there to honor the, the head of the table, which is the Pharisee, and the Pharisee's going to tell these stories, and when he says something really amazing, all the patrons that he's paid to be there are going to be like, yeah, good. he's such a great man. When he tells a funny story, they're going to laugh. She's just there for that. But when she sees it's Jesus, and that nobody washed his feet, and I believe she's looking at it, I believe she's on his side of the table, and his feet are right there. It's just not okay with her. Nothing about that was okay with her. Nobody honored this guy. See, I think she's encountered Jesus somewhere down the, in her path. And she's found Jesus to be a holy man, holy God. And she is no longer okay. And so with all the shame of imaginability that you could imagine in that culture, it'd almost be like just completely stripping herself. She, she undoes her hair and takes this vile and a very costly perfume, and she pours it out on his feet, and she weeps tears to wipe his feet because she's repentant, because she knows he's holy and she's not, and because he's been disrespected in this room by this great man of spiritual authority has disrespected him, and she's not okay with that. And so she's on her feet weeping over him. And I'm telling you, something about the cross and something about the work of Christ and how great he is 
has to get to your heart. It's not about you. Repentance is when a person says, I can see my sin, and it's more about what happened to Christ than what's going to happen to me. I'm more upset about what happened to Christ than me going to hell. Really. I've just learned over the years, I don't like what happened to him. It's why when we sing a song about the cross, I have the hardest time singing the words of the cross. I just have a hard time with that because he didn't deserve any of it. I'm the one that's supposed to go to hell. You're the one that's supposed to be in hell, not him. It's not about you. It's about him. Repentance says, a truly repentant heart says, it's always been about you. It's never been about me. Number five, repentance is surrendering to his lordship. Surrendering to Christ as Lord and Savior. New Testament is filled with this phraseology, the Lord and Savior. When Peter preaches in the book of Acts, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You crucified him. He was Lord and Christ. He wasn't just a Savior, by the way. He was the Master Lord of all things. Master of the universe, ruler of all things. That's who Jesus is, and you crucified him. And he's actually telling Peter, or Peter's actually telling the people, you need to get your head around the fact that you didn't just you didn't just kill a savior that's going to help you, like a Moses, right? A Moses would be a savior that's going to help you, like an Isaiah. You know, you didn't just kill a prophet that came to help you. You didn't just kill like Elijah or John the Baptist who's got beheaded. You didn't just kill one of those guys. You killed the master. You killed the Lord. And repentance says, I get who he is at that level. He is Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. And when they had heard this, verse 37, Acts chapter 2, they were pierced to the heart. Does that sound like something happened? Yes. They were pierced to the heart. And they said, Peter, they said to Peter, what should we do? What should we do? You know what Peter's words were? I read them to you earlier. Repent and be baptized. You need to repent. You need to let that all sink in. Recognize who he is. Recognize who you are and repent for God's made this promise to you. Repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter five, verse eight. Peter, when he first meets Jesus, like Isaiah, when, he, when Peter first meets Jesus, you might remember this story. It's very rarely mentioned. What did he do when he first met Jesus? Like, hey, there's Jesus. No. He actually says, depart from me. Peter recognized the holiness of who he was. Peter was a disciple of, of John the Baptist. And when John pointed him out, he says, depart from me. And Jesus, he saw Jesus as Lord. He saw him holy. And Peter knew his own sinful, stupid you know, bipolar state or whatever he's in because he's going to be that guy. And then Jesus comes over to him and says, hey, follow me. Follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to change your whole life, Peter. And Peter did. He became a follower of Christ. And he waffled in it, but he ultimately becomes a guy in the book of Acts. When Peter walks by you in the book of Acts, if you have a cold, if you have the sniffles, and he walks by you and his shadow passes over you, you don't have sniffles anymore. Actually says his shadow could heal people. That freaks me out. That's who Peter is because he became a follower of Christ and he repented. Number six, repentance brings closeness and fellowship with Jesus. Revelation chapter three. Those who am I love, Jesus says, I reprove 
and disciplined. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I believe God's doing a work of discipline in this room today. I know he's doing it in my heart. I know he's pointed out a ton of things in my life recently that I've always thought I had a good handle on that I wasn't. I haven't been repentant of them. And I just need him to shine more light, show more scripture, have more accountability and more talk. And he's showing me stuff that I need to repent of. And here's what it says in Revelation. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's the door of a church, by the way, not a heart. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You might make a note in your, if you're taking hand notes here, uh, either in your Bible or right here on your note page, 2 Samuel 9. My favorite story in the Old Testament is Mephibosheth. Wrong bloodline, wrong guy, fugitive, on the run from the king, had the wrong bloodline. He had he was a, a crippled fugitive farmer. He's not even a good farmer. He's crippled in both feet. He can't even farm. And he lives in a place called Lodebaran, which means no life. And King David says, is there anybody from the family of Saul that I could show grace to, show loving kindness to? And Zeba, my hero, when I get to heaven, I'm looking up Zeba. If you want to find me, I'll be looking for Jesus and Zeba. Zeba says, oh, there's that guy named Mephibosheth. I know where he is. They go find him. And Mephibosheth thinks he's about to have his head cut off because former kings cut off the heads of the family of the previous king. That's what you do. The last phrase of that passage says, and Mephibosheth, with his crutches and his crippled feet, Mephibosheth ate at the king's table every night. Every night. He ate at the king's table. He dined with the king. Grace says, repentance says, Lord, I get who you are and I get who I am. And I need you to help me. I'm never going to be okay. Never going to be okay by myself. And Jesus says, I love you enough that you can dine with me. You just keep repenting and remembering what I did for you, and you can live with me forever. And then it means I have peace. Repentance number seven means I have I have peace. Luke chapter seven and verse 50, the woman with the alabaster vial. As that story unfolds, the room goes kind of nuts. And the Pharisees, the religious people in that room, are judging this woman like crazy in their minds. Jesus reads minds, by the way. And he hears all that in their heads and he addresses it. But as he addresses it, he actually talks to her and sets her, he gives her, first of all, forgiveness of her sins. And he blesses her for what she's done. And then he says this, go in peace. Go in peace. Because she had repented with a heartfelt repentance, recognizing who Jesus was and who she was and what needed to happen. She, she sacrificed at his feet and repented and made him her Lord. And then he said, go in peace. And he sends her out of the room. You know why? There's fixing to be this massive debate about the value of women in their culture. <laughs> Imagine that. About the, the, there's fixing to be this massive debate about Jesus not understanding what was really happening and that she was a, she was a sinner. She shouldn't be allowed to touch somebody that's a holy man. You can't be a holy man if you let that happen. All that's fixing to happen and he doesn't want her to experience that. Because he loves her. So he sets her free from the conflict of that mess and just sends her out. But how does he send her out? Go in peace.
See, when we have true repentance, peace comes over us. Ian gave his testimony here last week. Had a great time, by the way. Appreciate y'all encouraging him. And uh, he's had a good week. He's been ministering to several people. But Ian Smith gave his testimony here. And one of the things he said is he gave his testimony. He said, when I really understood that God loved me a sinner, he said, I had this peace for the first time. When I heard that, I was like, man, that's exactly what repentance sounds like. There's this peace in me for the first time. When I was uh, in high school here at Northside, I went to school here. As, I went to El, uh, the youth group here as a kid. For, I was a little bit of a kid for a while, and then I was here as a youth group. And when I went here in the youth group, we would go on these winter retreats to a place called Camp Victory. And uh, it's in uh, Op, Sampson, Alabama. It's right next to Op. It's in Sampson, Alabama. Uh, near Op, you have to get go through Op to get Samson. Near near Dothan, and uh, it's just Christian camp. It's very conservative Christian camp down there. And we used to go there regularly. And I remember one weekend being there. There was a singer by the name of Dave Brubaker that was the guest singer speaker for the weekend. It's just a three day thing. I remember he had a cassette tapes. Uh, had the double cassette tape player and his little sound system set up, and he would put his tape track in and sing to his track. And uh, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my whole life. He had a guitar too, but he rarely used it. He sang mostly to his tapes. And we, he had albums. He had, Brother David had him come here. At some point, Dave Brubaker was in this building singing on that stage with his cassette tapes. I remember that happening. But here's what happened. He challenged us in the first session he gave. He said, I dare you to ask God to show you how much he loves you this weekend. Just ask him to show. And you know what I did? I took that up. I went and sat under a tree. I don't know if that tree is still there, but I know right where it was at the time by the lake at Camp Victory. I sat under this tree during our free time where we're supposed to just have devotions. And I leaned against that tree with my Bible and I said, God, Mr. Brubaker says I'm supposed to ask you to show me how much you love me this weekend. Would you do that for me? I was 15 years old. Would you do that for me? Here's what happened. I started crying. I know I'm a soft person, so, you know, that's pretty normal. But I could not stop crying, like anywhere I was. I'm eating dinner, crying, tears running down my face. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. What's wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just my heart's just like about to burst. And I mean, the counselors were constantly taking me off to the side going, are you going to be okay, little man? Are you okay? What's wrong with you? I, you know, I, I don't know. But I prayed a prayer and asked God to show me how much he loved me. You know what I figured out that weekend? There's no way to describe how much he loves you. And if he shows you how much he loves you, you can't take it. You literally can't take that much love in. It can't be received without it blowing you up. And it did. It wrecked me all weekend long. All weekend long. I wept through every song they sang, through every sermon, through every small group. I'd lay in my bed at night just sniffling. People like, you going to be okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The counselor eventually put me in a counselor's cabin because I was bothering everybody with my sniffling. But I'm just telling you, when, when the Lord gets a hold of you and you get repentant about it, it changes everything and it moves you deeply. It's not just a prayer. It's not just a, a talk with God. It's not just a, I understand. It's something that moves you. And I want to call us to repentance. Don't let your repentance be incomplete or imagined. True repentance means I'm able to be near to God and no longer in a state of death. But it comes with a price tag that says I'm surrendered to him and he, he, I owe him everything. It's why we sang the song, I owe all to you. 
in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my source, my strength. That's why we sang those songs. So ask God to reveal himself to you and ask him to see his love and his mercy and his holiness new and different. Will you do that? And I don't believe you have to kneel at an altar, although you can if it helps. You don't even have to pray if you'll just speak to God in a way that tells God, I get it now and I want to be fully repentant. 